You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. He asked me to fast my opinions. He just said, why don't you just, why don't you just put your opinions aside and why don't you stay in my word? So I'm going to stay in Romans chapter 12 all day Tuesday. I'm just going to keep reading it and reading it and reading it. Because I know this. I am so tempted at times to just jump in with my opinion. What I think about the situations we face. Listen, I want to be biblically sound. I want to be Holy Spirit led. And that is the time that we are living in. We are required by God's word to live full of God's spirit. I'm just going to say this to you. I know this is true for me. Uh, I'm getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Did you know that? I mean, that's the way I feel right now. Uh, I, I want to say this. If I'm not uncomfortable right now, there might be something wrong with me. And I, I do, I do. I feel a little overmatched. I feel a little bit over my head. But I know this, Jesus will prevail. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And today what we do is we journey through the times and we as the body of Christ stand up and we pray. And we keep praying. And I'm just going to ask you to contend for what God wants to accomplish in this nation. Maybe we can think this way. These might be what we're facing today. These might be the days that seed revival in the future. Because I'm believing in revival for this nation. I'm believing in revival for God's people. But it always starts, doesn't it, with God's people. And it starts with our hearts. And so I take that seriously. I want to live out the gospel in Jesus' name. So I want to challenge you to do that. Fast and pray, if you would, with me on June 9th. That's Tuesday coming up. And we want to fast and pray and intercede for this nation. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you today for your amazing grace and mercy that you have shown us. And what we do is we stand up together. Lord, when when one is in pain, we're all in pain. Lord, when one weeps, we all weep. And so, Lord, let us fulfill the heart of Jesus Christ. Let us fulfill the heart of the gospel, that we would be able to join together, that barriers would be broken, that there would be reconciliation. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you begin with us. Begin in my heart. Show me the way. Lord, we just ask in your name. This day, we ask in your name. In Jesus' name, the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And all of us say together, amen. Well, listen, do this with me. If you have your Bibles, wherever you are right now, open it to 1 Peter. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're beginning a new series called Steadfast. It's a study in the book of 1 Peter. I don't know how many of you have ever built a home or uh, tore a home down and remodeled it from scratch, but it's quite a venture. I mean, there's a lot of activity that goes on. The builder may even come to you and say, hey, here are all your options. And you look at your options and you see there, there are choices that you have to make. <laughs> choices about the color of your house, both interior, exterior. There are choices about what kind of windows you're going to put in. There's choices on what kind of flooring. There's choices on cabinets. There are all these choices that the builder offers you for a new house. But one of the things a builder never offers any of us and that is a foundation. He doesn't come to us and say, well, the foundation is optional. You can pay this much without a foundation or this much with a foundation. No, a foundation is something that is never optional. It is the most important part of the house or of any building. So we need to build on a foundation. And that's what really First Peter is all about. It's building on a foundation so that you and me can be steadfast 
in our walk with Jesus Christ. The theme, I think, of 1 Peter is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. I love what it says. It says this, And the God of all grace, who, who called us who, to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm. Say it out loud with me. Steadfast. Say it one more time. Steadfast. Immovable. We need to be steadfast in the days that we live. And how do we do that? It's through God's Word. It's through the infilling of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. It's knowing what God says to His people. And I think First Peter really communicates that to all of us. You know, Jesus talks about the importance of a foundation. He's giving His first sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And He goes to this place, and, and He gives this parable, and he, and he compares two kinds of builders. And He says, one builder... He, he builds his house on a rock. So when the floods come, the rains come down, the floodwaters rise, the winds whip through, the house remains during a time of a storm. And then he says, but there's another. There's another that builds their house. And it looks just like the house that was built on a rock, but when the floods come and the winds blow, that house collapses because why? It wasn't built on a rock. It was built on the sand. You, you, you see, our, our future really depends on what's underneath. Our, our future depends on what people may not see in our lives today. They're not always going to see me kneeling and praying. They're not going to always see me reading the Word. They're not going to always see me worshiping God. But these are foundations that I need to build my life on, that I build my life on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The book of 1 Peter is written by a man whose name means rock. So if you want to, I guess you can call him Rocky because that's really what his nickname was. Jesus actually gave him the name. He was one of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ. Now I want to do this. I'm going to sum up Peter's life for you. I think it's always good to capsulize what we're talking about here. But Peter was a pebble who put his trust in the rock and he taught others how to be steadfast. This is the reason I'm compelled to go to 1 Peter and just pull out everything I possibly can because it's good for us to know a little bit. A little bit, not only about the Word, but how about a little bit about Peter? What was his background? What was his calling? I don't know if you do this, but this is something I always do. Annette sees me, she catches me studying, and she'll say, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm studying about someone's life. And she looked at me the other day and she said, you love to do this stuff, don't you? I said, I do. I, I, I like to see context. I like to connect dots. I like to know why someone says something they say. I want to know why someone lives the life that they live. Now, what we know about 1 Peter is, is he's on in years. In fact, after he writes 1 Peter, uh, he dies a few years later. So he's writing this, he, he's writing this message to, to Christians that desperately need to hear it. And it's good that we know that. 1 Peter chapter 1 Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and and peace be yours in abundance. I have a map for you so you can see what 
group of people he's talking about, these are people who were actually exiled. They were persecuted. They were run out of their home in Jerusalem, many of them from that area in Palestine. Well, they were run out, and they ended up in what is today modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to them. They're a long way away. These people are absolutely frightened about the future. They're frightened about the persecution that's coming their way. They're frightened that Nero, the emperor, at this particular time that this was written, is going full scale, full out, in persecuting and chasing Christians. So they're frightened, and and Peter writes to them. So we have to ask the question, who was Peter? Peter Peter was not his, his original name. A lot of you know that. His original name was Simon. Fifty times in the Gospels, he's referred to as Simon. And here's what I find interesting or ironic the name Simon means one who hears now compare that to what you know about Peter and you're all starting to smile right now I have no doubt that Peter heard Jesus what we wonder sometimes is if he listened to Jesus I think that's the thing that that we wonder about Peter's life we know that Peter was a fisherman he was born in a Galilean town called Bethsaida Bethsaida is on the east side of the Jordan River, the north part of the Galilee. But in later life, he moves down to Capernaum, which is more of the hub, the fishing hub. We know that he lived there with his wife, his mother-in-law. Some of you have been to Israel with us. You know exactly what we're talking about. This is the place where he encounters Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's through his brother Andrew. John tells us that Andrew met Jesus and then ran back to his brother Peter and says, Hey, you got to meet this guy. I love the evangelism that you find in Andrew's life. And I think that's good. Something for us to remember. If you've encountered Jesus Christ, and he's changed your life, he's transformed your life, don't keep him to yourself. Share Jesus with others. There are people in this world that need to know Jesus. So go tell them what you've experienced. That's what you need to say. Just tell them how Jesus affected your life. So we see that he was, he was in Capernaum. Peter's dad was named Jonas, John or Jonah, depending on what translation you have. Peter was, a, he was married. Uh, again, lived with his mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians 9. If you want a reference, you can read it there. Listen, this is the thing that I know about Peter. This is the thing that attracts me to Peter, is Peter was a leader among leaders. Peter was an amazing leader. In fact, Peter was known to be the leader of the first 12 disciples. There are lists of disciples. There's always, each gospel gives a list of the disciples. Have you ever read that before? It it talks about the disciples. That those lists change almost all the time except for one thing. Whenever a list is given of disciples, there's always one person at the top, first mentioned. Guess who that is? It's Peter. It's Peter. So Peter is the leader of this new church. Remember, uh, the day of Pentecost, which we celebrated Pentecost Sunday last week. And boy, do we need Pentecost. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what does he do? He stands up. He's emboldened. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He gives this first message to the church. Over 3,000 come to faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens? He's the central figure of the book of Acts for the first 12 chapters. So he is the man. He is the leader. And there's so much more. There's more written about Peter in the four Gospels than there is of any other disciple. The exception is not a disciple, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is number one. Peter is number two. So above everything else, this is what we know about Peter's resume. And I love this. 
He was a lover and follower of Jesus Christ. You know, if anyone wants to give you an epitaph, if anyone wants to, to, to put anything on my, on my gravestone, I, I would love that. This man was a lover and follower of Jesus Christ. End of story. That, that would be actually tattooed on our hearts. The Apostle Paul says, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. What does that mean? The word bond slave means he's tattooed me. He's left an impression on me. That I'm a lover and follower of Jesus Christ. Above everything else, he was a, a, a follower of Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, 23, Jesus defines what it means to be a follower. I think this is a good time for me to take inventory. It's a good time and a day for me to look at my own life. And Jesus said this, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, what must they do? They must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. In one short sentence, there's this radical, crazy, over-the-top followership of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say here, well, if you feel like it, well, maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't. He says, this is what it takes to be a follower. I've read the scripture over and over this week, and I've had to ask myself, because this is where it all begins for all of us, am I that disciple, am I that follower? Whoever wants to be a follower must deny themselves. Denying ourselves is, is foreign. It's a foreign way that we think because we're naturally inclined to think about ourselves. We're naturally inclined to self-preservation. We're naturally inclined to survive. But what it says here is it says deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. This is extreme. Doesn't this almost borderline fanatical? Would you, would you say that? This is what Jesus calls us to. This definition should cause us all to look at our own hearts and We'll never, listen, we'll never experience the thrill of God working through us until we understand what it's like when God works in us. You see, God wants to work through us, but it always begins by God working in us. How's God working in you today? I know He is. There's so many things that are unsettled right now. Listen, God never wastes these opportunities, He always takes advantage of an unsettled, uncomfortable group of people, and he comes in, and he comes in like a flood with his great grace. And what he does is he teaches us about himself. That's what I love. This is a lifelong process. This is a journey full of ups and downs. All of us are in different places in this journey, but we're all on a journey. Peter is, and I think people would say this, I think you would say this, Peter is the disciple that most of us identify with. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I love John. Uh, I love him. But boy, that John, he, 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 he's good. But he's over the top sometime for me because I'm not that nice. Uh, Peter is an every man, every woman's disciple because why? We see his flaws. Those flaws in Peter's life were open to us. He was impulsive, strong-willed. He was prideful. Peter actually struggled with legalism. How many know that? If you want a reference, go to Galatians chapter 2 and see how Paul actually reams Peter out for hypocrisy. He says, Peter, you, you know what you were doing? You were eating with the Jews. You were eating their food, kosher, 
when, when, when the Jews were, were with you, but when, and when you were with the Gentiles, you ate Gentile food, but when you were eating with the Gentiles and the Jews showed up, you left the Gentiles to stay with the Jews. You, you left them behind. You didn't associate with them anymore. That's hypocritical. Peter struggled with all of this. He struggled with legalism. There are a lot of reasons I think we relate to Peter. Peter was also tender-hearted. Read the conversation in John 21 that he has with Jesus. I'll refer to that again. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And finally he breaks. There's just a tenderness in his heart. Jesus spoke spoke more uh, to Peter than any other disciple in Scripture. So he's having these conversations constantly. These are things that are recorded. Imagine the things that aren't recorded. I, I don't know how much was going on there, but a lot of conversation between Jesus and Peter. So why is this important to us today right now in the first book of Peter? It's because all the lessons that Peter learned in those conversations with King Jesus, he writes in his books. What he's going to tell you here in this passage, in this book, he's going to say, these are the things that I learned in my personal, intimate interaction with Jesus Christ. So why do I pay attention to him? Because he's been with Jesus. Peter even says at places, hey, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. He's speaking to those that are dispersed. What he's saying is, I've seen him. I can witness of that. I can tell you we've had some good conversations Peter wrote this book probably in the early 60s A.D., but Peter dies. Most of you might know how he dies. He dies in 67, 60 A.D. to the the hands of uh, of Nero. But what does he do? He says, I I, I don't want to die like my Lord died. I don't don't deserve that. I, 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 I don't deserve to die on a cross like he did. Church history tells us that he died upside down. A lot of you may know that. He died upside down on a cross. What you may not know is church history also tells us that he died next to his wife upside down on a cross. Do you say that's pretty radical? That's someone who's pretty dedicated. But Peter lived his life this way. He lived knowing that he wouldn't die until he got old. (laughs) Did you know that? I mean, I I wished all of us had that guarantee, but we don't. He, he knew that he wasn't going to die young. He knew he was going to die old. Why? John chapter 21, Jesus has a conversation with him. Remember that? After he restores him, what does he say? He says, hey, Peter, you're young now. You get up. You, you're able to change your clothes. You're able to do your exercises. You're able to do all the things that you do because you're young. But when you were older, they're going to dress you. They're going to take you places you don't want to go when you are old. Peter rests in that promise. This is amazing. How do we know Peter rested in the promises of Jesus Christ? Because there's this one story in Acts chapter 12. It's remarkable. You can go there. Look it up yourself. Peter is in chains. Why? Because Herod at the time had taken both James and Peter, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, had taken both of them and put them in chains. What happens is James dies by the sword. What they do to James is they behead him. They take his head off. The next day, they're going to do the same to Peter. And it says that Peter is chained between two Roman centurions. He is chained. And what's he doing knowing that he's going to or think that that there's an execution coming the next day? You find Peter taking a nap. Now, let me ask you this. If you thought for one second you were going to die the next day by the sword, would you be taking a nap? 
Not me. I wouldn't. You could. Not me. I'm not going to take a nap if I know that's going to happen. I think I'd be restless all night long. Peter knows he's not going to die. And what happens? God intervenes. Miraculously, he intervenes and saves Peter's life. Peter doesn't die until he's older. I want to trust in the promises of God. That's somebody who trusted in the promises of God. And that's one thing that I, I'm going to encourage you to do. If you get anything out of the message today, let's trust in him. He has spoken, and his word is high above every other word. His word is eternal. His word is alive. His word can be counted on. The question I'm always asking myself, and maybe I should ask you, what, it, what is it or who is it you trust? Whose word are you believing in? So, we know a little bit about Peter. What did he become? If you study the life of Peter, well, it says here in that first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What he became is he became an apostle in the early church. He went from a disciple to an apostle. So, Peter's life changed over the years. This is how it changed. First, there was a name change. Secondly, there was a status change. And third, there was a heart change. That, that's, that's what I love about this man's life. The Lord changed his name. And that's not uncommon, is it? We see it all through Scripture. Beginning in the Old Testament, we see where, where God comes and changes the name of Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. God's doing that. Why is he doing that? He's changing our name because he wants us to remember something. He not only is looking at who we are, he's paying attention to who we will become. Do you know that he's looking at you right now? He knows your potential. He knows who you'll become. That's why he, he changes Peter's name. In John chapter 1, Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter in John 1, 40 and 42. It says Jesus saw him. I love this. Whenever it says Jesus saw him, don't skip over that in Scripture. Pay attention. I don't know how many times that is mentioned. I, I counted it one time because I was just curious. It says that Jesus saw him. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw the disciples. Jesus saw the state of Jerusalem and his people. When Jesus sees something, understand, and I've used this phrase before, that that is the gaze of God. That what he sees is deeper than what we'll ever see. What we typically see are things on the, on the surface, isn't it? Well, what God sees is, is he sees everything about who we are. Jesus not only sees who we are, but he sees who we'll become. Simon will become Peter, the rock. Jesus saw and sees people differently than we do. He sees them deeper. Jesus amazingly sees your sin. Here's the amazing thing. He sees your sin. He sees my sin. He sees your weakness. He sees your secrets. He sees everything about you. And you know what he does? after he sees you and knows you like that? Follow me. Get to know me. Come close to me. I don't know anyone else on the planet that would do that for me. Who knows me this way and still says, come, follow me and have a relationship. What's interesting is that Jesus will use both Simon and Peter intermittently even after the name change. Isn't that kind of curious? Gives him a name, but he'll go back and forth. Calls him Simon at one point. Simon, uh, son of Jonah, or Jonas. Uh, I think it might have been because when Peter acted like his old self, he called him Simon. When he acted like his new self, he called him Peter. Maybe that was an indicator. Maybe that was a a code between the two. Oh, Simon, what are you doing? 
You're acting like your old self again. Hey, Peter, this is good. I love your heart. You're doing what a new Peter would do. You know that. You know how that feels. Listen, nothing good came from someone calling me Ronald. Nothing. When that name came out, Ronald, I thought, oh, man, I am in deep trouble. When Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon's going, oh, man, I am in deep trouble. Now, when they called me and my friends did growing up, Ronnie, I knew they were my friend. Ronald, not so much. Not so much. This is the same true with Simon and Peter. In John's gospel, he's referred to as Simon Peter. <laughs> and so John just takes all the, whenever you see it, he'll, he'll say Simon Peter, Simon Peter. This is John. They're really good friends. They're, they're the first to the tomb, uh, other than the women. They were the first to the tomb, and so they get there, and, and Peter goes busting in. John comes in a little later. But in his gospel, he says, Simon Peter. And I'm just thinking, he's not Jesus. John's not Jesus, so he's just saying, whichever guy shows up. You know, the good guy, the bad guy, whichever one, I'm covering it. Simon, Peter. Simon, Peter. I don't know you. I don't know which one's going to show up here. And we see that about his life, don't we? We see these places. Galatians 2, Paul has to to discipline it. So the old Peter or the new Peter, John just did not know. So he just said, Simon, Peter, I'm covering it. See, those names represented Peter's struggle, didn't they? Sometimes he listened, sometimes he didn't, sometimes he was strong as a rock, sometimes he was like sinking sand. And then Peter had a status change from a disciple to an apostle. I love the word apostle. Maybe you know what that means. It means one sent out. But that's not the imagery. That's not the full picture of the word. It actually means a fleet of ships sent out that represents the kingdom. You're being sent out and you represent a kingdom. And your priority is the kingdom of God. And he's saying that I save you and send you out. And and Jesus did that with the disciples. He sends them out. They were disciples. And then they became apostles in Matthew chapter 10. So here's the pattern. All of us need to know this. This is the lifeblood of the church today. You become a convert, a disciple, an apostle. You come to Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ. You follow him. You learn. You're mentored. And then you're one who's sent out. You're one who brings the good news. Please know that this is always the way the church thrives. The next change that Peter experiences is in his heart. And it came on the heels of failure. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus comes and restores him in John chapter 21. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time he said, Lord, you know. Okay, I'm done at the end of that. He goes, you know all things. Lord, you just, you you know all things. So what happens? Do you remember what happens after he's restored, after he comes to that place? The next thing that Jesus does, this is amazing. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because some of you think because of failure in your life, you're disqualified from doing what God wants you to do. What does Peter do? What does Jesus do for Peter? He entrusts him with the most important thing on this planet, and that is sheep. He said, good, take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. I failed you. I failed you. I I denied you three times, and now what you're doing, you're showing up. You're restoring me. And you're telling me to take care of, you're entrusting me. 
with your flock. That is remarkable. That God trusted Peter as he, he trusts us with the same with, with, with life itself. Peter not only was a fisherman, but he was a shepherd of sheep. Peter goes on to, to be the leader again of the new church, from a disciple to an apostle, from failure to faithful, from a person whose feet are made of clay to a person who stood on the rock. And the last thing is this. It's what Peter wrote, and that's where we're diving in. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Christ Jesus and sprinkled with blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Again, today, that's modern-day Turkey. The church was scattered because of persecution And the reason I'm circling back to you on this, it's an important thing that we know why he's writing to this group of people. Some of them he probably knew. Some of them were chased out. Some of them he might have even been connected to in Jerusalem. And now he's in prison and this is what's happening, what's taking place. He's writing to these newly formed people, these newly formed churches in Asia Minor. And when they choose to serve Jesus Christ, listen to this, when they choose to serve Jesus, Jesus Christ, they were marked people. Literally marked people. They no longer had citizenship. They were no longer honored. They were were chased. They were persecuted. Their life did not matter. In fact, the life of Christians back then was made sport of. Even the word Christian is a derogatory term. They would say Christians and laugh. Those that follow Jesus. The original term of Christians in the New Testament, in uh, the, the, the uh, epistles and in, in the book of Acts, is the people of the way. So when they said, here, you Christians, <laughs> you're nothing. You're a scourge. They were being persecuted. They had lost everything. So the underlying question that Peter answers in First Peter, as we dive into it, is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, where is your security? Who do you trust in? Do you stand firmly on the rock of Jesus Christ? What happens? So can I throw this out here? Because this is what Peter would have said to you, and it was real and true. We're only thinking of what I'm going to say as what-ifs. But let's think about a few what-ifs. Let's put ourselves in the same place these churches in Asia Minor were in when Peter was writing to them. What if, let me throw it out there, what if your religious freedom is taken away? What if your freedom to speak is taken away? What if your right to lawfully assemble is taken away? And I'm probably treading on sacred ground. I'm asking what if, because this is the cycle of the church. I'm not projecting doomsday here. I'm just asking you a real question, something that all of us in the body of Christ need to face. We need to ask ourselves that question because is there something stronger that we should be standing on? Is there something more permanent, more eternal? What is that? 
Listen, if we answer these questions and say, what if this happened? We're in the exact same place, the church, the churches that Peter had written to. I'm going to say this. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but as a shepherd, in some ways following in the footsteps of Peter, as a pastor, here's my deep concern. Remember I said it's good for us to be uncomfortable? There might be some in the body of Christ that actually value their constitutional rights more than they value the biblical promises. Now, how would you know this? Who do you trust in? What do you believe in? What gets you more excited? What brings passion to your life? Is it the promises of God or the promises of something men has constructed and put together? By the way, what men have put and given, men can take away. What God gives us is his promises. And what does it say? His promises are yea and amen. What he promises, he never takes away. I love the country that I'm part of. I love the freedoms that I have. But I also know this. I need to stand firm on the rock and the word of Jesus Christ. That is my salvation. That is my future. That's how Peter went through and maneuvered through a time of possible execution, ultimately real execution. How did he get through that? It wasn't trusting in the empire. It was trusting in the kingdom of God and the ruler, Jesus Christ. Where do we stand? The very first time that Jesus uses the word church in the New Testament, he's talking to Peter. Jesus says to Peter at Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're the prophet, some say you're a rabbi, some say this, and then he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, hey, flesh and blood, no one else has revealed that to you. Only by my spirit can you know these things. Friends, you need to dive in and know what the spirit is saying today. You need to dive in and know what God's word is telling us today. It will always go deeper than my first impulses, my opinions, my judgment. It will go deeper, God's word. Find out what God's word is speaking to us today. I love the fact that Peter started leaning into who Jesus was and leaning into the spirit of God. And Jesus goes on and he, and he says, remember, you, this rock I will build my church. Now some people have said, well that's talking about Peter and that's how you have some traditions that have started. What he's saying here is he's saying I'm the rock. Jesus is saying I'm the rock. If you've ever been to Caesarea Philippi, he's actually pointing to a massive, massive rock. It's massive. He's pointing there and what does he say? And the gates of hell will not prevail. And the gates of hell will not prevail. We must remember that anything thrown at us when we are steadfast, firmly placed on the rock of Jesus Christ, we will make it. We will overcome. We will be more than conquerors. Jesus is speaking of himself. He's saying, I am the rock of your salvation. In fact, when you look at the Greek translation, when he talks to Peter, he uses the form of a rock. He says, Petras. 
You're the Petras. Does anyone know what that means? That means <laughs> you're the little rock. Okay? You're the little pebble. You're the little rocky. He says, I am the Petra. I am the massive rock. I am the eternal rock. I am the rock of salvation. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to conclude and we're going to take our communion together before we leave. If you're doing that at home or in the patio, just get your, your elements ready. We want to do that together. But I want to say this. Are you building your life on a little rock? <laughs> or are you building your life on the massive eternal rock of Jesus Christ? That's, that, that, that's what we're posed with here today. And as the hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. Would you just bow your head with me? I want to invite those that may not know Jesus today. If you're online, listening, watching, I just want to invite you to know Jesus Christ. If you've never come to that place of committing your life to Jesus, you can do that now. And the Bible says that you don't have to stand on the little rock. You can stand on the big rock. That's the rock of your salvation because anything else is sinking sand. So I'm asking for you to come to that place of making a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and you can do that. We can help you. We have resources that we put out online, and we want you to know that, 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 that instruction is available. Talk to people around you. If you're seeking, you can find him. And that goes true for anyone that's in this building. You can find Jesus Christ. If you have not come to that place of knowing Jesus Christ, you can today. You can find Jesus Christ. It says, when I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I repent of my sins. I follow him. This is the process of knowing him. Father, we just ask in your name that we come to this place and thank you for all that you're doing in our life. Lord, let our feet be firmly planted on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. And we will not be moved. We stand on the rock. Today we declare that in Jesus' name, amen. Today, if you just take out your elements just for a moment, and I uh, want you to take out the bread with me if you would first. If you're at home or in the patio or parking lot, you can do that as well. We're going to take the bread today. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And what we're saying is, Lord, we know that you, you came and you suffered and you, you identified with everything that we can identify with and do identify with, but you did not sin. His broken body was given to you. Father, we want to thank you for your brokenness. We want to thank you for your body. What we do is we do this together. What an appropriate time. What an appropriate day to take communion, to remember the main thing is the main thing. You are our rock. Thank you for that. Today, we take the bread in Jesus' name. Would you do that with me? Take the bread. And Jesus said, after the bread was taken, they gave thanks. After the bread was taken, they took the cup. And cup represents the new covenant. The new covenant that was purchased or sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This cup represents the blood. The blood of atonement. The blood of cleansing. The blood that washes all our sins away. Today with me, would you take the cup? Let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. 
You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.